Scoundrels in Space Sports, a corner of the galaxy for your favorite hives of scum and villainy. I'm your host, Amanda Starling. And I'm your host, Hanu Yoa. Join us as we navigate through the maelstrom of the saga, but don't worry, we've got a good feeling about this. So buckle up, baby. We're Scoundrels in Space Sports. So we decided that February was going to be our special episode about families. And um, although we won't be sharing any spoilers from the book of Boba Fett, there was a lot of family action, whether it's talking about is, you know, like Godfather type family or actual family members. Um, we the family. See I'm doing the little scene. I'm doing the little um, finger pinch, Italian hand, Italian yeah. hand gesture. The family, um, yeah. I can't but, tell uh, if he's got the got the Italian family or if he's got like the Fast and Furious like family energy. <laughs> I think it's a little of both. I think it's a little of both. But uh, we did want to touch on on uh, February families in Star Wars because family is such an integral part of the Star Wars saga. It is. And if anything, last year, can't believe we can say now this is our second kind of like know. love month episode. Uh, last year <laughs> we talked about ships as in romantic ships. We joked around about possibly telling you we're going to talk about ships again and doing starships, but <laughs> <laughs> we ended up deciding we decided that to scrap that. Yeah. We, first of all, that's a little somehow too punny for us. Yeah. <laughs> But we figured family love is the other wonderful type of love within Star Wars. It's kind of, I would say, core, integral to Star Wars storytelling. So we'll be talking about some of our favorites, whether they are parents, it's complicated family dynamics. I think it's a gentle (laughs) way of putting it. That's Um, a good way to put it. And of course, our siblings, our adorable Star Wars siblings. So let's let's kick it off here i feel like we should start strong with the top star wars space parents at least in my mind which mm-hmm. are of course Absolutely. bale and breha organa top tier parents. They, they stepped up to the plate uh to to raise not only their own amazing daughters that we learn a lot about through the comics but then they step up to help raise uh leia obviously and shape her into the strong independent woman that she is today uh and so they in my book are just fantastic parents just from that alone Mm -hmm. quality i mean you think about how um i personally really love the stories within leia princess of alderaan um that is a clear favorite because I feel like we get to learn so much about not just Leia's growth into the woman that we love, but the people who shaped her and her parents are a huge part of that. You see it also in comics too. So you're not limited to the book for sure, but yeah, I feel like we see how Bale and Breha like to kind of, um, show Leia patience. That's something that's a Skywalker trait to not have a whole lot of patience. And they really oh, yeah. help foster her into somebody who can be both patient and diplomatic and somebody who can kind they let her also explore and learn by failure to some extent I feel like in a lot of ways that maybe Luke wasn't able to do so for example um I think about and spoiler for the book if you haven't read it but like when she discovers the base on crate right um Uh, she did that by screwing up that was not intentional (laughs) um in fact she basically accidentally like ran into her dad's secret operation to build the rebellion and he's just like and it's amazing and right and Bale doesn't (laughs) like you know admonish her or make her feel bad about it Breha does not really 
discipline her when Leia gets curious and wants to rebel and learn more about the rebellion and such. They're more so like, you pro- are you sure you want this is generally their attitude throughout. And they yeah. foster her creativity, her curiosity and her desire to learn and explore the woman she'll become, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's such a healthy and rare dynamic in general, much less in Star Wars. I think another interesting fact about the Organas is how closely they knew Padme. Yeah. And so as they're raising Leia, they are also kind of helping foster this idea in her that it's okay to be like Padme. And maybe they even help shape her, become more like Padme mm-hmm. by, you know, um, letting her have these adventures, letting her learn from her mistakes. Um, there's always like this, this, uh, this TikTok sound that comes to mind when I think of, of Leia and, and the Organas and it's like, don't interrupt your kids when they're doing dangerous things safely. And so like, if she's doing something dangerous, but she's being safe about it, like she can learn from it, you know? <laughs> so, right. I don't that's, know. That's totally their mentality. And I think the one thing that I deeply love is how they've always encouraged Leia's altruism and her desire to help others. I think yeah. about how like one of like her first missions and stuff she was doing for the rebellion were like supply runs for planets that were impoverished or struggling due to the empire, right? And mm-hmm. that was a lot of Bale's um and Bray has as well, both of their desire to help others. It was a natural trait of them long before. Um, the rebellion even existed right before the fall right. of the republic. And the fact that they encouraged Leia to do that probably above all things. Good parents, man. I, yeah, I, we can talk about them forever, but I'm just forever impressed by their desire to do good and the, what they passed on to their daughter, who in turn is able to influence an entire legion of the rebellion and later on their existence yeah. generations. Yeah. That's that's their that's their lessons permeating through um, to them. So it's so cool that we get to see that just intergenerationally. Go, go, Bail and Breha. I know. And then you've got like these other parents who maybe don't have children of their own originally, like, you know, to start off, but they kind of end up bringing into the fold this family. And that's Hera and Kanan. And the fact that they also inspire their, you know, kind of quote unquote children to continue on that same path as what the Organas would with Leia. Um, and, and you can't talk about families without talking about the ghost crew because they're, they're my favorites. I love them so much. They're the and, epitome uh, of uh, found family. And, oh yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure that Kanan and Hera went in with them, did not go in with the intention of like, oh, we're going to adopt every like lost I, child yeah. in the galaxy. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure that just that innate nature in both of them were at some point, we're just like, you know what? You look like you could use a bunk and something to do. Come with us. <laughs> yep, exactly. And then it ends up being, you know, they're the ones who are helping teach these life lessons. Not to say that they don't learn things from, you know, the others as well, but um, just through their own experiences, through Hera being, uh, you know, on Ryloth during everything. And then <laughs> Kanan, <laughs> you know, an Order 66 survivor and, um you know, kind of a, a rogue Jedi at this point, and they all kind of teach each other to um, to grow. And it's I, I just I could say things forever about them, but I love them so much. It's true, and like I think to the point that we were kind of talking about earlier with the whole their family kind of permeates through generations of like rebels and resistance. I think about how um, Kanan and Hera have taught Zeb and Ezra and Sabine so many valuable lessons whether it's in fighting or in how they communicate or how they work together how they strategize there's so much going on there but I think also one thing to mention as well is that they help heal the each of them from their other Mm -hmm. family trauma so like yeah Kanan and Hera are instrumental to Ezra healing from his trauma of losing his parents to the Empire. They're instrumental in helping yeah. Sabine come to terms with the loss of 
um, her clan rejecting her, which is very complicated. We'll dig into more of that later. They also helped Zeb, I feel like, in some ways, recover from the loss of his people when they were massacred by the Empire as well. It, yeah, it gives him like a, a surrogate family. So he right. has a place to belong where he probably feels very alone. But at least when he's with them, he feels like he has a, a space. Yeah, I like to headcanon. I like to headcanon too that they pass that on to um, Hera and Kanan's biological son, Jason, in a sense, that they yeah. all kind of stood in for him um, as well. I hope we get to see that story at some point, just because Hera and yeah. Kanan are just influential as both characters and I feel like a surrogate parent. So that's, I, I can't wait to see that hopefully someday expanded on. And that would be really, really cool. I'm seeing a pattern here with our conversation though, with like surrogate parents, because the ones that we'll probably talk about next year are the original ones that we met in story, which yeah. are Owen and Baru Lars. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, we don't really get to see a ton of their parenting style in, in the original film. Um, other than, you know, um, Bruce kind of like the soft spoken motherly type, whereas I think Owen is more the hard ass kind of get your head out of the sand boy and get to work. Um, and I say we don't see much to their parenting, but yeah, we just got some interesting news, which we won't spend a ton of time talking about, but we did get a date for the Kenobi release. And I'm stoked May 25th. So, you know, especially from the poster, if you haven't seen it, it's Obi-Wan on the sands of Tatooine. Very obviously it's, it's Tatooine. So um, we are almost guaranteed to see at least a little bit of uh, Owen and Baru's parenting because um, the actor and actress that played them in episode uh, two. Yeah. Uh, they're returning. Is going, they're, they're coming back. So um, I'm excited, but yeah, uh, they, they're like the original, uh, adoptive parents. And, uh, I always got that feeling from Owen that he really did care about Luke, but I just don't think he knew how to go about it. Um, maybe it's a result of them not having their own children and not really knowing how to be parents, but, um, I think yeah. they did their best. And I think Luke turned out okay. Although seeing Tashi's station in Book of Boba Fett made me realize <laughs> what a seedy place that that place really was. So when Luke's all like, I wanted to go to Tashi station, I'm seeing it now going, you let your poor, innocent child go to Tashi station? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Day hours only. Otherwise, you're going to run into like, bikers on bike gang yeah it's oh my like God. Uh, it's a little it's a little sketch i mean i think that definitely owen had the best of intentions though maybe not the best execution and yeah I'm, I'm kind of wondering to some extent based off of his kind of gruff attitude toward luke specifically i can't help but wonder how much he knew when anakin fell what actually happened right like how did he know. know that Anakin was now Vader was that why he is so guarded and kind of assertive with his attitudes towards Luke and I hope yeah. that we get to see even like throwaway dialogue in Kenobi from from I just Owen that just like indicates that he knows yeah. and maybe that would explain why he's so like fixated on Luke staying put and making yeah. sure that like you know he 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 reminds me I think sometimes of my own uncle with the gruffness and yeah. the whole like I'm not going like we're not hugging all the time kind of attitude you know <laughs> yeah yeah I get this weird feeling and maybe this is going to be a prediction I don't know I made a couple predictions about Book of Boba Fett that ended up being true so who knows um but uh yeah Will it into existence <laughs> do it so this is my my thought on Kenobi and what we might see is uh you know we there are probably going to be some flashbacks like we saw in Book of Boba Fett and I think one of the flashbacks we may see is uh to Obi-Wan delivering Luke to um, Owen and Baru on the sands of Tatooine and oh. what I would imagine the kind of conversation that may strike up since we know that they actually met Anakin Skywalker is what 
what happened essentially. And I can't help but think that Obi-Wan might actually let them in on a little bit of the the situation since we know that Balin Breha knew quite a bit about what happened. So (laughs) they knew everything. So I think Obi-Wan might instill that, you know, like entrust that to them. Mm -hmm. And that might be why we see Owen being so, no, you're not going to go off planet. You're not going to join the Imperial, you know, um, you're not going to join the, you know, um, the Academy. You're, you're going to stay here for just another season. It's just another season. Like you're not going to say he doesn't want to play into the fact he doesn't want to play into anything that may set him on the same path as Anakin because these people are totally different people than uh, Bale and Breha. They right. are, you know, they, they live a very simple life. Mm-hmm. And so they, in their mind, it might just be stay home, work the farm, be safe. And it's ironic that that's exactly what gets them killed. Uh, right. And I think, to some extent to live and exist, frankly, on Tatooine, you've kind of got to look, have a little bit of that survivor's mindset and that yeah. can result in some gruffness. And, yeah. you know, I think sometimes it's a miracle how soft Baru is as a, and like, you know, she's strong, but she's also soft in the sense of like, you yeah. know, she still has that gentleness about her. I guess that's the word the I'm looking for. Kindness and gentleness. Yeah. Yeah. And that understanding and that open-mindedness. Yeah. And I get the impression that perhaps, Owen's the one who's seen more shit, frankly. We've seen now with Freetown and um, The Mandalorian as well as Book of Boba Fett that, you know, even when you're in a town, you're still going to face a lot of potential yeah. danger and trauma. And they're just on a little settlement out in the middle exactly. of nowhere with no other. So they are even more remote and even more uh, vulnerable than others. So I, I do see where you're going. Yeah. So, but. It's interesting with those parents for sure. I hope we get to explore them a little bit more in Kenobi. I do too. It would be great. Speaking of a rough parent, um, somebody who really doesn't know what they're doing, but is trying to do the absolute best that they can. We cannot go talking about parents without talking about the Dilf himself, Din Djarin. (laughs) new daddy energy oh my god oh my god he is literally the ultimate new dad energy and i love it oh my god he has no idea what he's doing no Um, but he's he's trying the best he's trying his best i you know i just i keep going back to this thing where i'm like oh sweetheart he didn't feed that baby for three days he had to eat a frog (laughs) (laughs) he had to eat a frog at the like, Agnot's farm. Uh, I like he's to like, think. Oh, maybe I should feed him. <laughs> Din. What the fuck, man? Oh, Din. Din he's trying baby. so hard. He gets so much so better as we go, though, frankly. Oh, my goodness. So much. Yes. He, he went does. from it's just frogs to soup bone broth you can you can have some bone broth um yep, yep. you know uh i'm sure that you know we he figured out fast that babies are not supposed to eat um amphibian species egg babies yep. um that was great mm-hmm. good job din good job trying to step up and intervene in that potentially dangerous yeah. situation mm-hmm. um i think that more so with din i think what makes him so intriguing as a parent is that he has this desire to do the best he can and step up for someone who has no one. And I find that so beautiful. Grogu has literally nobody. And I think that Din immediately assumes that this kid has nobody. Let's try to find him somebody. If it can't be me, let's get somebody who can help him and can care for him the way that he deserves. And I feel like to have that natural trait as a person. I think part of it, of course, is his Mandalorian culture of, mm-hmm. um, you know, the foundling culture and stuff. But ultimately, I think that innate feature is not in everyone. And I find it so special when somebody who sees a child that is definitely not their own. Um, I yeah. say that looking at Grogu's species and Din. Yeah. <laughs> that is very obviously not his child, but having that natural instinct and desire to protect, to care, to provide is one of the most appealing and beautiful pieces of storytelling. 
And oh, I yeah. personally and- like it, it connects to in some ways my personal life too. So that's probably part of the reason why I love Din so much is yeah. because that's all the qualities that in my mind are the best to have as a person, as a parent. And I don't know, I see, I see my own dad in him a little well, bit. I think that it also comes from a place of empathy because he has yes. also been there before. He has been the one who has no one and has nowhere to go and his home is destroyed and he's all alone. And in that in that moment, the, the Mandalorians were the one that came and saved him. And in the moment where he meets Grogu for the first time, there's like this symmetry um, mm-hmm. behind it. And even in like the 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 second or the first season's finale when din gets the jetpack for the first time and he flies off with grogu there's that beautiful visual symmetry of when the death watch mando came and saved din and they're flying off and he's holding on to the the mandalorian and then when he's flying off with grogu in in the end so i think it's 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 he sees he is now the one who's coming in to save this child whereas he was saved himself so it's it's empathy and um and that's what makes it so beautiful because i 100% will go for an em- empathetic character um more so than you know somebody who's going to beat you up but thankfully we have both with dindarn <laughs> And we keep seeing it as the story progresses, even into the book of Boba Fett, that he is a very empathetic character. And um, I just, I, I really hope the best for him. Good dad. I hope, I hope that we continue to see the good father son energy that we continue to see this kind of like healthy relationship continued to develop in star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's beautiful and necessary and says so much. Um, but I, I think we need to talk also about the, um, the, the parent-child relationship between our other favorite, not Mandalorians, which are Jango Fett and Boba Fett. Oh, I'm yes. going to let you start this one hand oh, because oh my I goodness. know how much you adore them. Okay, so... <laughs> I read the uh, junior novels, uh, the Boba Fett junior novels when I was um, much younger. And I, I, while I can't say that Jango Fett was the best parent, I can say that I don't think he was the worst. And I really do think he was trying his best. Um, that said, I still don't really know what parent takes a child to a war zone. <laughs> but... I shouldn't laugh, but it's just like, Django, come on, man. Sweetheart, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but through through the books that, I, that you know, the like I said, the Boba Fett Jr. novels, which were really great if you ever get a chance to read them, although I think they might be out of print. So uh, um, you really get this feeling, at least from Boba, Boba's perspective, that he loved Django so much. And while he didn't have everything right, um, the loss of Django was an incredibly profound moment on Boba. So you have to think about that. And even in, in the book of Boba Fett, just the first few episodes, you know, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen any of them, but in the first few episodes, we get to see um, a lot of flashbacks of Boba, young Boba, when Django is leaving on a mission or whatever. And it's a very emotional emotional scene that plays out for that so you get this feeling that Django's absence brought Boba great sadness so they must have had even behind the scenes they must have had some sort of amazing relationship in spite of the flaws right Um, yeah so I I just as much as I don't think Django Fett did everything right and he made a lot of mistakes that's apparent parents make mistakes and you know not everybody's perfect but his son loved him very much the fact that Django chose to be a parent is something that has always intrigued me he did not have to he could have continued his entire existence without having a child um but he decided ultimately when the option was put before him to replicate himself for an army 
you know what? I think I want, I think I want to be a dad. And I would love to see that story explored at some point in canon where we get to somehow understand, and it can be a comic, it can be a book. I realize that it's, or, you know, de-aging technology is fabulous right now. So I'm, Oh my gosh. Yeah. If anything, you know what, let's de-age Tem and hear the story at some point, because I I am so curious about Mm -hmm. what led up to that moment and how he chose, you know what, I'm going to be a dad. You know what? I may not be good at it, but I want to be a parent. And I feel like for somebody who lives their entire life as a bounty hunter, um, and at one point, like a Mandalorian foundling, perhaps there's, there's, there's stuff there that I would love to understand because yeah, not everybody who sets out to be a parent is great at being a parent, but at the same time, there's opportunity for sure to understand the motivations of him. And I think to some extent that possibly severe approach to parenting, I think it kind of trickled down to Boba to some extent. And I'm going to go ahead and a spoiler warning here. For anybody mm-hmm. who has not watched Book of Boba Fett, because I do want to talk about this. Um, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I'm trying to find the best way to tackle this. And I think I'm just going to start with the joke that Hannah and I were making right before uh, we started recording, <laughs> which is that Boba Fett is a pilf. And I'm going to take this um, totally and give it credit to Shayla Wren on TikTok, who came yes. up with the idea of the intersection between a peepaw and a doe. Mm-hmm. And basically, mm-hmm. Peepaw was Cad Bane. Yep. And Dinjar. He's all Bill. like, yeah, they were like, the Peepaw energy is like that old man from Holes where he's like, <laughs> I'm tired of this, Grandpa. That's too damn bad. So that's, that would be Cad Bane, the Peepaw. And then you've got the Dilf, which is obviously Dinjar. And then. <laughs> And Boba's right in the middle of the damn intersection. <laughs> yes. And Boba Fett, I, you know, at first I was just like thinking about it. And I've realized Boba Fett is kind of a pilf because you think about it when he has his found family of Tuscans, that's where the Delph starts to come out a little bit. Yep, yep, his yep. Delph energy comes out for his baby rancor, which I will <laughs> never be able to get over. Um, and then... I think also to some extent him deciding he's going to like adopt these like mech young adults and make them <laughs> I like calling them the him. techno teens. They are the techno teens. They kind of feel like the techno teens. It's he great. Does. He does. He adopts them. It's so funny because he makes it sound like, oh, you're going to come work for me. But he's, but it's like these kids are running around like a really nice palace. They get to keep their nice bikes. Even yep. Fennec is just like possibly disciplining them too. Like, yeah co-parenting the way that like a cool (laughs) aunt might you know what I mean um yeah so if anything I'm like Boba Fett definitely has the pilf energy and he's definitely (laughs) peepaw with his attitude toward anybody who is not in his family um (laughs) I think that Boba Fett may now qualify as a parent at least that's my headcanon and I'm sticking to it (laughs) it's close enough hey you know what he's if the only two examples we have are Tuscans and <laughs> and Rancors, he definitely counts as a, as a parent because yes. Tuscans are at least you know sentient, so they they can be like a family found family. But the Rancor kind of puts him in line with like dog mom territory. So oh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I parent. think I think that's t- yeah, pet parent for sure. So. He, he counts. He, he's, he's not he's like valid. plant daddy or anything. That would yeah, be a no, further yeah. stretch. That would be <laughs> weirder, but you know, we'll give yeah. it to him. We'll give it to him. Um, it's so funny. Cause I like that. We've talked about the kind of rougher around the edges parents to some extent. And I yep. feel like continuing the trend of rough around the edges, uh, Mando influenced parents. We got to talk about mm-hmm. Ursa and Ulrich Wren, um, as in Sabine Wren's parents. Um, yes. We know a fair bit about Ursa, given that she was in Death Watch. She was there at Siege of Mandalore. And ultimately, we understand how, like, she ultimately has to, um, I don't feel like she has to, but she kind of boots Sabine from the family after everything that went wrong with her at the Imperial Academy and Mm -hmm. building the... um, I forgot what the name of the machine is, but I'm just going to call it the Beskar Wrecker. 
because it mm-hmm. kills all <laughs> kills all the Mandalorians, the armored Mandalorians. Um, yeah. Please don't come for me, fanboys. Um, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean. That's all that matters. But anyway, I think it's interesting because we get to see the Ursa Sabine tension throughout Rebels in trying yeah. to convince family to side with a larger cause, a larger effort. And ultimately, of course, Ursa does assist, but to see the way that they kind of have to fight out their values and fight out their standing and um, their understanding of the state of Mandalore as well is kind of pivotal to watch. I think it's so crucial to understand Sabine's character by looking at Ursa and how Ursa has interacted with everybody. And also knowing that Ulrich was basically like, being held captive, it, it makes things a lot more intense and more angsty and difficult. And to see yeah. the way that this family is just desperately trying to survive in the galaxy while also trying to kind of like, and I kind of chuckle at the whole idea of it, but like their honor as a clan and stuff, I'm air quoting that by yeah. the way, because it's like what yeah. honor you're, you're scrapping right now. Um, but, exactly. <laughs> but if anything, Whatever. Um, they're interesting to me in that sense. And I I, I don't know how, but maybe at some point we'll get to learn more and more about how um, Clan Ren lended to Bo-Katan's efforts with Mandalore. But it's yeah. interesting. And I think a lot of that ties into their family dynamic, ultimately. Also, just on like a small side note is just how neat it is that um, Sabine learned how to be an artist from her dad. Right. That's so true. You know, that's a family that, that quality right there. It's a family quality that it was probably something she and her dad did together um, when she was little because he was an artist and she's obviously very artistically inclined given her fun little spray painting and her colorful armor. Creating the entire starboard for I know. the rebellion. I love it. It makes me so happy. It. <laughs> it's so great. Um. Yeah, and I think that you're right. That's definitely one of those things where we get to see the threads of parents influencing their children. And that's something that we get to see a fair bit actually throughout Rebels, now I think about it, because Ephraim and Mira Bridgers, the Bridgers, um, Ezra's parents, right? They are kind of known to be some of the first people to speak out against the Empire and like broadcasting their concerns and Their their pirate radio station, basically. Right. And wow, that's one of the coolest stories, I think, as far. And I would like to actually see that story in detail at some point because mm-hmm. we haven't seen anything like it really in Star Wars. But like, no, um, though we don't get to see them very much on the show, we get the understanding of the values that they instilled in Ezra and most importantly, their ability to impact their entire planet. And oh, yeah, I feel like that's a almost like a reaching form of parenting in a sense, because it's like they're instilling their values on the people and not just their own kid, but the people. Yeah. The people of Lothal are just interesting characters all around. But then once you see the Bridgers influence on them, it really goes it goes the extra mile. Mm -hmm. So it's really neat. Yeah. And it's kind of cool because that's actually a bit, now they think about it, an even bigger theme that just continues with Star Wars, Galen and Lyra Erso. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you've, I read the book Catalyst um, a year, probably a year or so after the, uh, ro- the movie Rogue One came out. And um, I had already really found Galen Erso interesting um, and Lyra as well, because I, I just really thought that the, one, the two actors were really, really phenomenal Mm -hmm. um but also i just really wanted to know more i wanted to know more about galen obviously because we get this sort of hint between him and um krennic but uh we we never really get the full backstory until you read uh catalyst and what you find is that these two they 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 joined the the empire really feeling that it was the right thing to do at the time because you know, they're both brilliant, brilliant people. Um, and, and then quite soon after that, they kind of are seeing what it's really made of. And uh, when they try to back out, it doesn't work, work out for them. And they're pretty much pursued the whole time. Um, but you really get this sense that one, they love each other. And then when, 
Jin comes along, they really, really love her. And so much so that, you know, Galen is willing to risk his life to protect her several times. And Lyra ultimately gives her life to save Jin as well. So I think even though we don't see a ton of them in the movie, and even though it's not really super touched on in the book, or um, it, it's still, there's still some of the better Star Wars parents who really did their best. And unfortunately, you know, it, it, in the end, they, they still passed, but not without creating an amazing legacy that, uh, or leaving an, an amazing legacy for their, their daughter and for the galaxy. Right. So. I, I can't help but wonder sometimes like who Jin would have been if she had been completely raised by Galen and Lyra, right? Because you yeah. can tell that they were doing their best to instill good values in her, trying to um, both protect her, but also ensure that she's like a strong person and yeah. um, knowledgeable too, right? Like Jin is so incredibly freaking smart and i love that about well, her, as her a character. both her parents were her scientists parents were, yeah her parents are geniuses at this point yeah so it's like to me i <laughs> i like to do play the game of what could have been because they were such interesting people much less parents and stuff so yeah. uh, pouring one out for for galen and lyra exactly i think i think galen and lyra are probably like bale and brehar are some of the the sadder parents mm-hmm. in Star Wars where they really were doing their best, but for circumstances that were completely out of their control, they they were not around for their children when they when they were really needed. Um, so yeah, no, that was really like another sad. set of parents in Star Wars. Yes, it again. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, I don't know how completely out of control Anakin was sometimes, but he was definitely being manipulated. So maybe that was out of his control big time. Yeah. I figured uh, that was a good segue. Great segue into the complicated Skywalker family. Um, (laughs) We can kind of brush Um, on this considering it's like a whole freaking saga's worth. Well, yeah, it's the whole freaking, you know, prequel sequel and, and, well, prequel, original, and sequel uh, trilogies are all about the complicated life of, of the Skywalkers, starting all the way back with Shmi, and <laughs> and you know that whole thing um, with the, the Virgins and the Force, and then you've got Anakin and Padme, who you know I, I think they tried their best. You know they had to keep a lot of their stuff a secret, so I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know what they were going to do when she had those kids. Like, what was their plan? Did they not think that far ahead? What, what was, I mean, what was the plan? Luke and Leia weren't exactly a plan. Oh, (laughs) Um, right. I just wonder what the plan was, you know, after they found out. I think after the war was over, Anakin was probably going to leave the Jedi Order at at the rate he was heading, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, maybe it was one of those, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission sort of situations. Or maybe he just didn't freaking care what happened. I don't think he cared also. Um, if anything, <laughs> oh gosh. I think that the Jedi would have been way more forgiving than anybody gives them credit. I think if anything, they probably would have had to do very special attachment coaching for Anakin really would have been the thing because they would have needed to teach him how to let go of Padme. If something were to happen to her, they would have needed to coach him on. Oh, right. Um, But I feel like the Jedi would have actually tried to kind of help him in that sense of like, let's teach you how to handle your feelings when your kids are in danger or something goes wrong. Let's teach you how to handle your feelings with that. Cause I think that was probably the biggest mistake was, is that it wasn't made clear to Anakin or frankly audience, um, how attachments yeah. work and how to manage them healthily. Um, yeah. cause when you don't know how to cope with that, you end up with a Darth Vader. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. If anything, that kind of just continues to spiral within the Skywalker legacy, Luke, with his students 
Um, and I think mm-hmm. that we don't know the full story yet, but clearly there was some complications with Ben too in how to tackle all that. Yeah. I think there was a lot going on for Ben. And while I don't necessarily agree that the, the common mindset that uh, Han Solo was just a bad father, I think there was a lot of complications uh, to Ben's childhood that probably didn't help that Luke really didn't know what he was doing. And I, I want to put it kind of like a, we see in other forms of media how just how unprepared Luke really was for this. Right. And it's really eye opening um, when you see how little he knew and how he was kind of just throwing spaghetti at the wall and trying to see what stuck. So I'm not saying that he was <laughs> I'm true. Not seeing that saying that. Yeah, I'm not saying that he was doomed from the start, but Luke himself as a Jedi master was greatly flawed. And yeah, so, and um, Ben was conceived practically in darkness and not saying that Leia or, Leia or Han were dark. It was right. the fact that he was basically being manipulated from the womb. From birth. By, from yeah. birth with by Palpatine. And yeah. knowing that and having a not best equipped Jedi master yeah, to assist you on that journey and guide you away from that darkness the way that I think Ben needed. I think Ben needed the lessons and emotion and attachment that um, earlier generations of Jedi would have been able to provide him. I'll put it that way. Precisely. Yeah. And I think um, the problem with Luke Luke is that he was, Luke was still trying to figure himself out. Like right. Luke was still trying to figure himself out when he's trying to teach other people how to, I mean, it's like me learning to roller skate and then two days into my roller skating, uh, attempt trying to teach you how to do it. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I, how am I going to teach you? But you know, I'll give it my best, but we're both going to fall and we're both going to skin our elbows. So, you know, it's like <laughs> it, it, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying not roller skating um, with you. <laughs> I'm not, I can't roller skate to save my life. Um, but, <laughs> um, but basically, yeah, I think that unfortunately the, the trend continues on with Ben and, uh, and his complications with his family. Of course, in, in the rise of Skywalker, we do see that wonderful moment where he and, Han kind of have this moment or or maybe it's his memory of Han I'm not sure we it was never really explained but um they have this moment where they they speak and and their relationship seems to be at least an understanding now um and then of course the effects of of Leia's death on him when he, when she passes it's obviously a very profound moment um You're and, and I can, up I know, I know. I was just gonna. I was just about to say I'm gonna start crying if I talk too much more about Carrie Fisher and and Leia. But basically, I think we we have to understand that we just don't know that much about about the solos and and this that that very specific portion of the Skywalker family to say if they were good or bad. But I think just like with everything else, they did the best they could with what they had, and they're they're all just flawed people trying to do their best. Like most people who set out to be parents, frankly. And like, I will say, I think Han is a way better parent than anybody will ever give him credit for because of one major thing. Han always calls himself a bad dad. And he is very aware of the things that he, and he's actually more so insecure about himself as a parent. And when you read Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older, so much of him is questioning whether or not he's a good enough father to Ben. And yet his actions are being a good parent to Ben. He's the one getting up and soothing him when he's upset as a toddler. He's the one that's feeding him and making sure he's safe and doing everything right that a dad should. And I think it's natural parental insecurities that come out that make people think that he was a bad parent when it's just like, no, he's doing what any new parent would freaking the frick out and wondering whether or not he's good enough to raise this child. And um, Leia does much of the same thing, but she masks it more than I think Han does. 
Um, but the fact that he cares that much about whether or not he's doing right by Ben, I think is yeah. huge. And frankly, what I picked up on all of that was, is that Ben always wanted his father and Han could not literally be there every second of his life to nurture him the way that um, Ben needed. It's impossible for a parent to provide the level of needs that Ben had. And I think that was probably the biggest challenge. And then when Ben went to go study with Luke, I think that only elevated his desperate desire to be close to his parents in the way that his parents physically could not do. Mom and dad still got to go get that bread, you know, (laughs) they can't can't be around him the way that he needed. So that also opened up that, that attachment issue where it left him, it left him vulnerable. And that's how Palpatine started to twist into his mind. So, yep. I totally agree. Yeah. I agree. So quick character rundown, because I don't want to spoil anything for anybody per se, but (laughs) I want to mention some publishing parent stuff that is very Ah, yes, a quick fire round. Yes. So we're going to talk about two High Republic mother-daughter relationships. First, there's Sile and Chansey Yarrow. We'll put it this way. We've got Sile, who is our, of the era equivalent of Han Solo, but gay. Um, Very, very, very lesbian, and I love (laughs) it for her. Um, (laughs) It's beautiful, but we've got Sile running around the galaxy thinking that her mother is dead. Turns out her mother is working with the most dangerous organization (gasps) in the entire galaxy Uh, and trying uh, to freaking mark everyone. Um, Oh my God. It's intense. It's amazing. If you love the Hanzo energy and want to see that translated into a character that I think is at times even more compelling than Han, please, please check out Out of the Shadows. Um, by just a controversial, controversial statement, but I think a lot of people are a little bit more compelling than Han Solo sometimes. Ooh, hot take. Um, I just, that's my hot take. Just saying like, if you like that little bit of spice though, that comes from like Han Solo, you would definitely love style. And I think she's particularly interesting and that's spicy, but if you want even more spice, we've got Avon and (laughs) Jara Staros. Um, Avon is a young kind of like scientist, like character. She likes to tinker. She knows a lot and she's brilliant, especially for her age. She's like preteen, tiny little thing, kicking ass, roaming the galaxy, doing her thing. And her mom is actually a galactic Senator, but bum, 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 betrayal. She also sides with the Nile. (laughs) Another mama traitor. What the heck? I know. I know. With all these moms. I don't know. They all have issues. Dang. And Mama makes the betrayal. Um, <laughs> Gareth Starros <laughs> makes this betrayal. I shit you not. And this is a spoiler and I don't care because she <laughs> thinks that Markeon Rowe is hot. She wants to sleep with him. That's it. That's it. She betrays the galaxy because she thinks that the eye of the Nile is hot. That is the lamest reason to become a traitor ever it's kind of hilarious i'm gonna rob this bank because i think that harry styles is hot like come on really (laughs) i mean there have been worse reasons for people doing dumb shit especially in star wars but true it's hilarious and it's funny because avon doesn't know yet and i'm very curious to see how this shit explodes at some point in the future oh Um, no yeah, it's juicy. I love it. Um, but that is <laughs> that is there we go. All, we got that's we all got in some the, we got some drama. That's all in the fallen star. To. So please read oh that book. Gosh. Um yes. so just a heads up. Um, and then lastly, we gotta talk about Dr. Afra. Okay. We know where this woman gets her conning skills from, and it's none other than her father, Corin Afra. <laughs> okay. Because daddy decided that for him to convince her to go on an adventure, he's going to basically get her doctorate, like the equivalent of disbarred until she helps him. And then once she helps him, he'll help her get her doctorate reinstated. Oh my gosh. Dad, dad, come on. That's like the worst. 
That's like the worst. Come on. Like I thought not feeding your kid for three days was bad. Like that's bad. You're going to undo your (laughs) child. The one healthy thing your child did in her life, which is pursue (laughs) higher education. And you're going to undo that because you want to go play Indiana Jones in the galaxy. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry. I just can't help it. It makes me cackle. It's such a great comic. Please read it. If you have not picked up Dr. Afra yet, but honestly, Afra is one of my favorite characters right now. And in particular, you see immediately why she is the way she is. And it's because of her dad and it's hysterical. So if you're a fan, check it out. It's a good time. Um, Oh my gosh. Let's do a quick dive into siblings. Um, We have, of course, the iconic Luke and Leia. Wow. We could do a whole episode just on those two, but I think what what makes them the most interesting is how they build a bond as adults. Um, right. I feel like it makes me think of sometimes the siblings who become friends as adults. Not everybody gets that blessing, but mm-hmm. um, it's really special because I think they quickly come to understand each other, both through their twin bond, as well as um, I think shared just trauma, shared trauma. Yeah, that's probably a lot yeah. of it, actually, now that you mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cause they kind of had to come of age together kind of in the war. If you think about it, it's like, yeah, they're like 19 years old, I guess when they meet, but at the same time, that's still such a period of growing up. And I find it beautiful how close they continue to get as they age. The fact that Luke does in fact, respect Leia's choice to both learn the lessons of the Jedi, but ultimately abandon them for her child. Um, I think that's intriguing. And the way that they kind of communicate to each other, it feels like across the galaxy, like the it last does. Jedi. Um, that's powerful. And there it is. It's it's I feel like some people talk about the whole idea of like in real life twin telepathy, right? And the, the special bond that twins can have and stuff. But I feel like Leia and Luke are such like a cinematic version of that where they can understand each other's emotions from any span of the galaxy, they can empathize with each other and they still try to save each other when one kind of slips into darkness or slips into struggle. So you get that first like glimpse of how they can, and it could also be the force, but you get the first glimpse of how they can kind of feel each other and and understand each other with that twin thing um, in uh, Return of the Jedi when, uh, when she's like, no, he's okay, I can feel it. And then in the end of The Last Jedi, when he obviously comes to, to see her for the last time, whether it be in a forced dream uh, or real life, uh, though we end up finding it's it's a forced dream. Um, yeah. The projection. That, that incl- yeah, the projection. The incredibly intense and emotional moment where he sees her for the last time and he gives her a kiss on her forehead. And it's just such a powerful scene that they are so incredibly connected in more ways than just like a sibling connection. I think the fact that they are from such a strong force family that, you know, they have that bond that maybe not a lot of other siblings have. Um, in, but they're so exemplary in that, in that sense. They like it, are. Makes you, it makes you want yeah. to aspire to that level of connectivity with your sibling in a sense, yeah. because it's like, I can feel you from across the galaxy. I can feel you freaking dangling from a little satellite right. on Empire Bespin. You're um, right. I completely forgot about that. I can't believe I forgot about that. But that is the first time that you kind of get that. Like he calls to her and she feels it. Yeah. So they even even before Return of the Jedi, she was able to to feel him in the force. Right. basically. And that just like emotional understanding, I feel like makes it so easy to where they don't have to explain themselves to each other. They just immediately right. understand. And I think that's so special. And they're a beautiful pairing. Oh, We're going to have to do like a special Luke and Leia. We are going to have to do a special Luke and Leia episode. And I feel like you can't talk about siblings without talking about even metaphorical siblings or, yes. or, or, you know, like, um, like Anakin and Obi-Wan, uh, you could talk about, you know, in, on Mustafar when he's like, you were my brother, Anakin, I loved you. Yes. Um, you get that feeling that he was, he really did see himself as a sibling, um, mainly because I think they were closer in age, um, yes. than, than perhaps let's say Qui-Gon and Anakin, who I think Qui-Gon was more of that 
parental figure for Anakin. And then when he passed, Obi-Wan tried to be that father figure, but I think as it through the Clone Wars and through all of their adventures together and everything, we really got to see how they were much more like siblings. Mm-hmm. And you it was know, the big that, brother, younger brother energy. And yeah, they, exactly. They taught each other things emotionally. They dogged each other over stuff. Oh, yeah. There's so much. <laughs> they dogged each other big time. And I think that's part of big the fun time. of watching. <laughs> the Clone Wars show in particular is you get to see that brotherly dynamic between them. Definitely the dogging, definitely the moments of kind of still teaching each other. I feel like Obi-Wan learns a substantial amount from Anakin actually in Clone Wars. Oh yeah. It levels the playing field for them. And it makes you kind of see how they just continue to draw closer to each other, to rely on each other. And even the experiences that they have throughout that, like I think of actually, and this ties into another sibling relationship too, the son and daughter of Mortis, right? And even the father too, that whole dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's so literal in its symbolism of light, darkness, balance, right? But I feel like that was such a valuable moment for both Anakin and Obi-Wan, even though they don't really remember, um, to kind of like their their roles within their family dynamic, right? And it gives them- both an understanding of the force and how the balance of the force works, um, but also how their relationship can kind of tie into that. And they see that represented in this push and pull tension between brother and um, sister, son and daughter, right? And how- Light and dark. Light and dark. And, you know, these characters who are so contrasting adore each other so deeply like son is pushed somehow even further into darkness at the loss of daughter right and um that in itself is such a beautiful family metaphor and i think it's so special that it's anakin and obi-wan and of course ahsoka who is like let's be real the honorary little sister of anakin and obi-wan exactly Um, yeah i think it's so special to see the three of them exploring that dynamic and understanding the way that the galaxy folds into itself Also, if it is like older brother, younger brother, and then little sister, it really does explain a lot about Anakin's personality that he's the middle child. I'm just putting it out there. Oh my God. He has such (laughs) a severe middle child syndrome. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Okay. Dedicating an episode at some point to Anakin and and Ahsoka. Going to go into that out there. But holy moly, you are so right. (laughs) Oh my God. I don't know how this just connected for me on this night, but wow. It's true. I need to go process that and come back at some point, but yeah, Yeah, we'll let it sink in a little bit, (laughs) but like that sibling rivalry. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sibling rival rivalry intention, you cannot go without talking about Bo-Katan and Satine Crease. Like literally they the are bickering. Literally the, like civil war was started because of their like tension between like, so I I've always, I've always found Satine to be a little bit tedious. I, I understand her, her position, um, and her desire to keep Mandalore neutral. Um, I still sort of see Bo-Katan's side, even though I still, girl's a terrorist. Like, I just yeah. you can't really get around it. You're like, not sorry. wrong, but don't be a terrorist about it. Bo-Katan, <laughs> you're a terrorist. Like, there are better ways to go about what you wanted to do than becoming a terrorist. And unfortunately, you just kind of- Sith Lord. <laughs> yeah, and terrorizing your own people and, yeah. you know- Essentially, I'm not saying that either of them were correct because I think a lot of them had a lot of flaws, like both of them had flaws and both of them pretty much if they had just met in the middle and like, I don't know, compromised a little bit on either side, I think we could have avoided a lot of this, but right. Talk about making a sibling conflict a planetary problem the way that the Skywalkers made the family problem a galactic problem <laughs> yeah yeah like i think bokatan and satine are like a condensed version of a, um you know like it's the skywalker down version of the skywalker it trauma it's it's issues. pretty bad i'll be honest um but it is interesting to see over time uh bokatan kind of learning from her right. mistakes and then having to work with the jedi and work with the clones to help stop the uh, ultimate destruction of their planet and all this Right, stuff, but and she's basically, still, 
She still loves her sister at the end of the day, though, because oh, yeah. she chooses to avenge Satine. She chooses she to, to side with the clones, ultimately, because her sister yeah. got murked. Um, yeah. And at that Although point- it's still, it still bothers me, and I'm just going to get on my soapbox for two seconds. Sure. In The Mandalorian, when Bo-Katan meets Boba Fett for the first time, the way that she insults him <laughs> by essentially being racist towards the clones, I want to be like, bitch. Those clones gave their their freaking life to save you and to help save your planet. So you need to show them a little bit more respect. So you yeah. might not like Boba Fett. You might not like him, but do not slander those clones. Anyway, that's, that's Bo- my soapbox. Katan I has, Bo-Katan has never actually been known for attacked. So no, you're right. So <laughs> or- if anything, it's on character, but I'm just, I have to get on my soapbox for that. I was like, Ooh, bitch, don't you do that. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, no. She, I feel you. It bothered me. I love her, but mm. yeah, it's, it's funny because we see the way that Bogotan and Satine are such opposing forces against each yes. other. Right. Well, it's kind of weird. Two heads of the same coin though. Two heads of the same coin. And it's wild because you contrast that with <laughs> it's a singular episode, but I still find it intriguing. The Mandalorian <laughs> with Shean and Ken, oh, yeah, um, where oh. they kind of are literally double crossing each other repeatedly in their yeah. effort to quasi rescue each other. That's freaking wild you know, as if, hell. <laughs> if they hadn't explicitly said brother sister in the episode, you wouldn't I would have think known. they hated each other. I wouldn't have known because they they their relationship using air quotes with relationship is is obviously uh not healthy i don't i don't think it's healthy at all i think it's also probably a product of how they were raised but yeah you, know. you get the feeling that they were raised on the mean streets the the darker streets of either ryloth or hell they they yeah. look more like narshadaw kids to me with how they act but yeah exactly <laughs> but you know it's okay because we have the bright beacon of beautiful sisterhood that is rose and yes. page tico Wow. 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 I adore these sisters because wow. Where do I begin? I think their desire to take care of each other and survive alongside each other. is just beautiful. So I, I, I uh, have a really close relationship with my younger sister. And so when I read the novelized version of the last Jedi, and uh, they really kind of did a little bit deeper dive into the Tycho uh, family dynamic between Rose and Paige. And when ultimately Paige gives her life to help save the resistance um, in the movie, I found myself wanting more, but in the book I was sobbing. I was just sobbing because it reminded me so much of like the relationship with my sister and everything. And that's why Rose and Paige will always be like a special um, and then you get more in the in the other uh, books that they were in, um, the Tycho sisters. The more that they're, the more that they're mentioned, and the more of their story that we learn. Um, just, oh, it's such a good, it's such a good one. Right. And obviously, I- Paige's sacrifice is something that spurs Rose on to play such an important role that she does. She goes from being. Um, you know, somebody behind the scenes to somebody who's on the front lines helping save the rebellion with Finn and Poe and everyone else. And, um, you know, her her bravery, Paige's bravery spurs Rose on to to do bigger and better things. And I think that's awesome. Right. And I think it's so nice to see these sisters have such a positive and healthy relationship with each other. Um, yeah. Like, And it's beautiful that you connect to those two in particular, because they remind you of your relationship with your sister. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think it's really cool because I was reading, I believe it was the Age of Rebellion Rose Tico comic and stuff. And a lot of it actually does have Paige in it. And it's really about Mm -hmm. them kind of learning from Leia and exploring their place in the, in the resistance and really understanding how they can kind of grow together in this space and survive together. And yeah. it's so beautiful the way that they connect to each other and inspire each other well before Paige's sacrifice too. I think that's probably among the reasons why Paige's sacrifice, I think, aches so much. It's so funny because yeah. it's like, I, I don't want to sound, you know, 
ridiculous when I say this, but the first time that we see Paige, I remember the first time I watched The Last Jedi, I didn't know who she was, but I had this aching feeling in my chest that she was somebody who was important to somebody in the resistance and that her purpose was beyond that moment and the tragedy of losing her, right? And I think that's a testament to um, the acting, but I think as we learn more and we see, we learn about her through Rose so much and the way that Rose um, chooses to kind of be our badass, not just resistance fighter, but activist on Canto Bite. And you know that this was a quality that she shared with her sister, that she learned from her sister and that they together had such a vision for how they could change the galaxy. And I deeply admire their closeness and their symbolic impact to the story from that point forward, from the moment we get introduced to them within the greater Star Wars story to everything that we see Rose do going forward. I think it's such a testament to how your siblings can positively influence you, how you can nurture that relationship mutually and grow together and make an impact together. Um, They're beautiful. Forever the loves of my heart, the Tico sisters. I just, uh, I think that's a great like positive note to end it on that hope, that love. Yes. (laughs) I think so too. I think it's been, a wonderful little recap of the families of Star Wars, symbolic and real um, and adopted that we can all learn from those. Yeah. And, and their, us, their stories. Let us know if we missed anybody that were your favorite Star Wars families. There are so many. I can think of a bunch already, even just within the High Republic that we could have done a whole episode yeah. on. Um, there's we were just, just really cher- cherry picking through some of yeah. the better ones or so, not better but some of the more popular ones yeah so just like hit us up on social media tell us about your favorites or if you agree or disagree with us i suppose we absolutely yeah yeah but thanks so much for listening to us chatter about star wars family love <laughs> this episode was produced by hannah yoa and amanda starling follow us on social media at scoundrels and spaceports on instagram and S underscore S podcast on Twitter. This episode's intro outro music was kindly provided by Closed on Sunday. All Lucasfilm property belongs to Lucasfilm. We're just the geeks who adore it. Until next time, may the force be with you.